invite you to open your Bible with me this evening to Psalm 39. Psalm 39. It's not the first time I've preached on this psalm. did so about six years ago, I think. But um, Psalm 39 has just been a psalm that the Lord's really been impressing upon me recently. And I just wanted to share, I think, some of the truths that God has been making clear to me uh, as he continues his work of sanctification in my life. The title of our message will be Blessed Healing for Bitter Hearts. And so we're going to be looking at Psalm 39. We'll be focusing on the first nine verses, <clears throat> but I'll read the entire psalm. Let's give our attention to God's word. Psalm 39, a psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. And my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. <clears throat> Let's ask for the Lord's blessing. Our God in heaven, we recognize that without the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand the things of God and I pray, Lord, that tonight as we hear words maybe that we've heard many times before, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us directly, Lord, to our life, our circumstance, our heart, and that we would know that you are talking to us and you are inviting us and calling us, Lord, to a better path, to a transformed life. We pray, Lord, for um, that fruit of peace in our life. As we study your word, in Jesus' name, amen. I alluded to this, and for those of you who read my pastor's report of what I did on my three-week leave, um, it, was a, it was a very good time away of, of reading and rest, and it was a time of repenting. Uh, it was a time of, there was some painful just dealing with uh, my heart before the Lord. I was uh, working my way slowly through uh, the, the book by uh, Jack Miller, C. John Miller, um, The Heart of a Servant Leader. And God used that, that time to expose some things in my heart that I hadn't 
really seen before. For instance, the Lord just revealed some long-standing bitterness that was in my heart. It's been there a long time. I would not have thought that I was a bitter person, if you'd asked me. Um, I think I probably have a, some a bit of a reputation of being kind of, kind of a, a jolly, at least I used to, person. <laughs> um, but, but Miller helped me to realize that, that bitterness is a deep-rooted heart sin that it's difficult to spot unless you know its fruits. And as I was reading this book, I just realized I was seeing those fruits. I found an online article uh, entitled, Seven Signs You Might Struggle with Bitterness. Maybe you'll recognize some of these signs in your own life. Uh, one, you have imaginary conversations with someone who has offended you. Right? You, you, you make speeches of what you should have said and what you'd like to say. Uh, two, you replay uh, a conversation or experience from the past over and over in your head, what they did, what they said. A three, you feel a need to tell someone what he or she did, what he or she said. Four, you're easily offended by this person. Five, you have strong negative emotional reactions to things that they say and do around you. It's, it's hard for you to receive anything they do or say anymore. Six, you can remember details of things that he or she said from months or even years ago. Seven, you are keeping a list of offenses. I wonder if you recognize any of those signs of bitterness in your life. Well, as I said, I, I did recognize them in mine and had to do some thinking about and praying about what do you do with a bitter heart? What is a bitter heart? How, how would you describe it? One writer says this, bitterness is unresolved, unforgiven anger and resentment. It is the result of anger changing from an experience to a belief. So it moves from not just this person did something to me, but this person is that way. We have a belief about the character of the person that moves beyond just what happened now to a holistic way of thinking, a conviction about that individual. Uh, the Bible talks specifically about bitterness and all the fruits that come from it. Uh, Ephesians 4, for instance, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. A bitterness is the first word in the sentence and I believe it's the root word and all the other things flow from it. The wrath and the anger and the clamor and the slander, the malice, all that comes out of a bitter heart. And the command of Scripture is very direct. Put it away. It doesn't belong to you as a child of God. It's not fit. It's not seemly. It's contrary to who we are in Christ. Put it away. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? And in Psalm 39, we have an excellent manual dealing with exactly that question. We don't know the specific uh, historic event that occasioned David to write this psalm, 
But it's clear that David was wrestling with a, with a bitter, angry heart uh, because of the wickedness that he saw around him. And tonight we'll look first at the pledge, the pledge that David makes, then the problem he faces, and then the prayer that he offers. The pledge, the problem, the prayer. The pledge we find in verse 1 and 2, David said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. The pledge is in verse 1. I'm going I'm to put a, a lid on it. I'm just going to button my lip. I'm going uh, to stop talking. You see, David um, realizes that he has a, he has a sin problem in his, his, with his tongue, particularly when he is in the presence of wickedness. Uh, all, commentators believe that Psalm 37, 38, and 39 are, are uh, a whole. They kind of belong together. And that would make sense. Psalm 37 wrestles with the perplexing problem of evil men who are flourishing. And, and Psalm 37 says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. That's, and David is experiencing that, that tension. And, and to fret not, of course, is easier said than done. Uh, Joanne and I, is, as, you, as you know, spent some time uh, at um, this beautiful old resort uh, on Lake George in upstate New York. And um, it's, a, it's a large place. We weren't the only ones there. There were uh, different groups that would, would come and go. Um, on one weekend, they had a, a, a large group, probably 200 or so uh, kids, college kids from all over the country, a part of a, a conversation, conservation club. And, um, and so it was fine. Uh, it was... Um, no problem, um, but um, I go into the men's bathroom off the main lobby in the, in the hotel there, and, and there on the counter is a, is a nicely ordered arrangement of feminine, feminine hygiene products. <clears throat> I wasn't happy about that. I was, uh, I was irate, in truth. Don't shove your religion down my throat. And so I gathered them up, and I made my way out into the lobby, heading for the counter, and I was preparing my speech as I was going. And it was a pretty good speech, I thought. It, it was a nice blend of sarcastic humor and self-righteous indignation. I, I, I was short, not too long. And, uh, and, and, and on my way there, I caught myself, and I, I just realized I was about to sin with my mouth. Uh, the poor person behind the counter probably had nothing to do with it in the first place. And... Why am I, the pastor, mouthing off because unconverted people are acting like unconverted people? And I was chastised. Uh, so I set him down on the table in the lobby and, and I went on my way. But I have to tell you that that, that indignation in the pit of my stomach, it, it wanted to vent. And it's amazing how creative and um, pithy, uh, my words can be when they come out of that, that place. And I think I'm not alone in that. We all live in a fallen world. We all experience evil in some way, variety of ways, and we respond. So let me ask you, when you see a, a video on your, on your news feed uh, of a mass of young people looting a downtown store, just utter chaos and riot, what do you feel? 
Well, if, if you're like me, you probably feel some anger and indignation. What in the world's going on? How did we get here? Who's running this place? It's more pronounced when someone sins directly against us, when your spouse treats you with disrespect, when you hear that your coworker has been slandering you, or someone steals something from you or curses at you, cuts you off on the expressway. Do you know that feeling of that indignation deep down inside? And it wants to come out in angry, spiteful words, sometimes hurtful and hateful words. Have you ever done that? Have you just let it go? Have you just gone, gone ahead and vented? Let it rip? Sure you have. You probably have even done it when the other person couldn't hear you. Right? Where you're driving down the freeway and someone cuts you off and, and you just let it vent. And they can't even hear you. What's the purpose in that? Well, you're just venting. Maybe you did it on the way to church tonight. You see, it's, it's, it's so common, it seems normal. We don't, we don't, we're not startled by it. Well, you see, David realized that it wasn't normal. It was sin. It was sin. God did not create our mouth so that we could vent and spew angry, spiteful, hurting words towards other people. And so he made a pledge to himself. He said, I'm going I'm to guard my mouth with a muzzle as long as I'm in the presence of the wicked. I'm, I'm going to just shut my mouth. Why? So that I might not sin. I don't, I, I don't want to say the thing that I'm feeling. I'm not going to say what I, what I want to say. I'm just going to put a lid, lid on it. He, he realizes that his angry response to other people's sin was itself sin, or at least a temptation to sin with his mouth. And so he said, uh, I'm, I'm not going to go there. He's not making excuses for the wicked, right? What they're doing is wrong, but he realizes that when, when he lets it rip and vents, he's also wrong. The anger and the, and the slander and the condemnation that comes out of, uh, of his bitter heart is also wrong. And so he decides to say nothing. That's his pledge. And I'm sure you've, you've done the same. You, you just realize when you're with that person in that context, it never goes well. You always end up saying things you regret. And so you're just not going to do it again. You're not going to talk. You're not going to say anything. Unfortunately, pledges like that almost never work because, you see, closing your mouth doesn't quench the bitter fire burning in your heart. And that's what David realizes. Verse 2, he says, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Such a perfect description of the human experience. How many times have you made a pledge? I'm not going to say anything. And then, and then before you know it, you're just trampling all over the pledge. And, and the reason you see is because your pledge to button your lip didn't quench the fire that was inside you. David makes the pledge, but he says that my heart became hot. The fire was burning within me. I was, I was so angry with, with what they were doing. So irritated. So frustrated. And so, finally it just comes out. Then I spoke. It's exactly what happens. We make the pledge, but we're still 
hot in our heart. The bitterness and the anger is still there. And friends, that's the problem. It's not that you can't control your mouth. It's that the heart that out of which the mouth speaks, there's something wrong with it. I just had that revelation. I, one of the things I'm trying to do in my Christian life is be more patient on the road. Um, I'm not, I, I, don't, I don't get road rage, um, at least externally. I do get road rage internally. Uh, someone's sitting at a green light and their face is in the phone and we're all just politely sitting here as though we have nothing else to do in the whole wide world but just sit here and wait until you wake up and realize the light turned. And, and I get mad. I get mad. And I, and I had that experience. I, I, um, I don't remember what the person did. They did something that offended me. And, um, and, and for quite a while, I've just been content to zip it. But, but this time, the, the, the Lord just prompted this question, why are you so angry? Why are you so bitter? Why is this such a big deal? And I didn't have an answer for it. And it became evident to me, that's the problem. It's not that people don't know how to drive. The problem is that I've got this, this, this bitter, burning fire inside of me. It's not just, it's not just driving. It's, it's this or that or the next thing. So how, how do I fix that? That became the question. Because if I don't fix that, then I'm just going to make pledges like David did in vain. And, and the fact is I'm, I'm just a, a, a bitter, angry person trying to zip my lip. And, it, and it, it's not going to work. So how do you, the, the, you see, the, the issue raised in verses 1 through 4 is how do you find a genuine peace of heart in the midst of a wicked world? How do you, how do you put out the inner fire? How do you quench that bitter, burning feeling that you have when you experience the sin of others and the folly of others and when people let you down? How do you, how do you fix that bitter heart that fuels the anger and the condemnation and the impatience and the complaining and all the rest of it? And what I love about Psalm 39, I mean, I was reading this and just it was like the Lord was just talking directly to me. Because David in Psalm 39 Prays for precisely the things that can fix a bitter, a bitter heart. And so let's look at the prayer. David prays for three things in this prayer. Humility, 4 through 6. And then a trust in God, verses 7 through 11. And then deliverance from his sin. Notice first David prays for humility. O Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days and let me know how fleeting I am. It's a strange prayer. I wonder when's the last time that you've prayed that prayer. Let me know how utterly insignificant I am. That's what he's praying. God, give me a, give me a deep functioning sense of the incredible brevity of my life. Verse 5, Behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths. So just, you know, that's a handbreadth. So we get, we get, you know, one, two, three, a few of those. That's your days. That's your life. Surely all mankind, my, my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. And, and David's praying, God, help me to get that. So it's not just an idea, it's not something that I sort of nod towards, but Lord, help me to, to, to functionally understand it because I forget. 
I begin to assume that I'm really, I'm very important. I'm very significant with very important things to do and, and very um, significant expectations of other people that, that are perfectly reasonable and should be met. And David just says, Lord, you need to help me remember how insubstantial I am, how weightless my life is. Surely a man goes about as a shadow, verse 6. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. All the hustle and all the bustle and, and all the honking and all the yelling and all the, all the striving, all the frustration and patience and anger, it's, it's, it's all for nothing. Nothing. You see, David prays this because he realized that the frustration and the anger and the impatience all comes from a place of deep pride. Pride. The inner assumption, the inner conviction that our well-being, our feelings, our agenda, our interests is all very important. It's very important. And, and we, we judge it to be very important, you see, that our voice, our voice is heard and, and that our needs are met and our dignity is respected and our expectations are fulfilled. We don't have to talk ourselves into that position. It's our, it's our native wiring so that we're, we just assume these things are very important. You see, a bitter heart, friends, is, a, is fundamentally a proud heart. A bitter heart is a proud heart. Just mark it down. A bitter heart is a proud heart. It is a heart that has forgotten that we are actually not that important at all and that our life is fleeting. It's a few hand breaths. You know how long a, a mayfly lives? Mayflies have the shortest life expectancy of any insect. It's one hour, um, but by virtue of strength, some can make it to 24. Very few. But it's never more than that. That's a mayfly's life. Think about how silly it would be if mayfly spent that just little, little bit of time he has worrying and arguing and complaining and fighting and demanding that his expectations be met. You just say, what a silly, silly insect. You got one hour. You got one hour. Friends, it's exactly the way it is with us. In the face of eternity, the, our lifespan is no different. It's a, it's a very humbling thought. You get one hour. So, so let's go over this. What is it you were so upset about? So worked up over? Your feelings got hurt? Is, is that what it was? Your expectations weren't met? Was that it? Your rights got violated. Your voice wasn't heard. And so you're going to then spend your time arguing and complaining and slandering and clamor and malice and wrath and anger. Do you understand that, that you will very shortly perish? I have, I've been at the bedside of many people as they die. Thankfully, mostly Christians. I've never heard a person on their deathbed rant about somebody else's sin. Because when you're ready to enter eternity, all you can think about is your own. 
And what are you going to say when you face God? So, so let me ask you right now, and you, I'm sure many of you have a, con- a, a conflict in your life right now. And, and, and if you ask yourself about these, the signs of a bitter heart, you'd be able to say, yeah, I, think, I think there's some bitterness there. Just let me ask you this in light of what David says here. How would you react in this situation if you knew, you absolutely knew, you were going to die tomorrow morning? Would you hold on to it? Would you keep making the speeches? Keep demanding that your voice be heard, that your, that your expectations get met? I don't think you would. You see, David, that's, he's praying, Lord, give me that humility. Give me that understanding. Help me to know how fleeting my life is because that humility is the only thing that can quench the bitter fire within and all the impatience and all the anger and the condemnation, you, you can't talk it away. You can't try to convince yourself uh, that you shouldn't feel that way. You're going to feel that way until you humble yourself. Until you come to a, an understanding of, of who you actually are in the presence of God and what your life is actually about. You see, when you realize that you're just here for a little while and then you're going to stand in the presence of God and so is the person that you're so upset That's the humility that David prays for. Help me to know I'm really not that important. Psalm 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom, that we might wake up and and realize how insignificant these things really are. But that's the first step. The second step is equally important, the step of trust in God. And now, verse 7, Now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. That's a, that's a very important thing that's happened here. It's, David, you see, once he grasps how little he is, how insignificant, how fleeting his life is, now he can turn to the Lord in utter trusting dependence. You see, a bitter heart, as we said, is a proud heart, but a bitter heart is also a self-reliant heart. A bitter heart is a heart that has been doing its best to make life work. All you want is people to treat you with some respect. All you want is for, right? What is it? You're just trying to control your life. Now, Lord, for what do I wait? That's a really good question. What are you waiting for in order for there to be peace in your heart? And grace from your lips. What's it going to take? Because we tend to wait for better circumstances. Right? We're waiting for the other person to apologize. That's what we're waiting for. Some of you are waiting for your spouse to change. You're waiting for your kids to behave. You're waiting for the boss to acknowledge how important you are to the company. Whatever it is. Right? There's... You're waiting for the circumstance to change. You can fill in the blank. But fill it in. What, what, what is it? What, what, what are you waiting for? To be at peace in your heart. You're waiting for people to learn how to drive? Is that what it is? And when everybody drives the way you think they ought, will, will, there be, will, he, will he have peace then? Waiting for your enemies to come and acknowledge that they were wrong? Is that what it is? Are you waiting for the, uh, your preferred candidate to take office? Is that what you're waiting for? What's it going to take 
for you to be able to have a joyful, gracious, peaceful heart in the midst of a sinful, wounding world. Because if you're waiting for changed circumstances, you'll never be at peace. You're going to live and die with a bitter heart. And there are lots of people who profess to be Christian who do. Well, there's only one way, friends, to a, bitter, to a peaceful, joyful heart. It's essential that we come to David's conviction, my hope is in you. See, verse 7 is a transition. David's turning away from his proud, self-reliant life that was fueling the bitterness of his heart, and he was now turning to the Lord. My hope is in you. What am I waiting for? I'm just putting my hope in God. And, and it's not just that God's going to fix things and God's going to make people behave and going to make my spouse treat me differently and make my kids behave and make my boss uh, act differently and make whatever. It's, it's not my hope is in God to fix it according to my standards. That's not it at all. It's I, my hope is in God. My hope is in you. So that, so that I can put away all the pride and all the self-reliance and I can repent of that lifestyle and, and, and now turn and just give it to the Lord. You see, friends, bitterness comes when, when the world and, and other people and maybe even God fail to meet our expectations, our assumed righteous expectations. We're not asking for a lot. We're, all we're asking for is, is X and, and people aren't, they're not meeting it. And it's not right, and it's not fair, and it shouldn't go on, and I, and, and I need to speak, right? That's the old, old way. That's the bitter way. And, and David says, I'm putting that all aside. My hope is in you. Peace comes when we realize that uh, we live in a broken world, and we are broken, fleeting people just like everybody else. And that the only hope there is in this whole world is God himself. And so God becomes what we're waiting for. We're just, we're just looking to Him. God is who we're depending on. God, is, God knows what we need. God cares for us. God, God will help us. God will protect us. We can trust Him. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. In a world of broken promises and, and sinful people just like us, we're going to be sinned against we're going to be wounded. It's going to happen. It will happen every day. But you don't have to have a bitter heart. I don't have to have a bitter heart. I don't even have to just, uh, you know, take the, the semi-bitter route of just shrugging my shoulders and sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will have never hurt me. Just shrug it off or, or just withdraw from people. That's what we do too, isn't it? We're going we're gonna to zip it, so we're just going to, but I'm not going there anymore. I'm not going to talk. I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to withdraw. Well, that's not, that's not of God. That's not, that's not waiting on the Lord. That's, that's just another attempt to control our circumstances. Peace comes when we put our hope in God, that God has this. God knows what he's doing. And every circumstance in my life has been ordained for me, Psalm 139. It's all been written in the book. And so my issue isn't with people and, and, and they're failing to meet their expectations. My issue is, is, am I willing to trust what God has written, what God has ordained, what God is doing? My hope is in you, David says. And then he prays finally for deliverance. 
Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. See, an amazing thing has happened in the psalm. David began by really wrestling with the sins of other people. Uh, it, it, the fire was just burning, and he, and he realized he didn't do well in those circumstances, but boy, the sins are right there, and that's what's real and present in his mind. It's exactly how it is with us when we have a bitter heart. And what really grips us is what other people have done or what other people are doing, and, and David gets released from that when he, when he receives the humility that comes from knowing the fleeting nature of his life and and learns to trust in God. Now the sins that matter to him are his sins. Deliver me from all my transgressions. That's the issue. That's what I need to be concerned about. That's what I'm going to have to answer before God for. That's what's wreaking havoc in my life. That's what makes relationships so difficult. It's my transgressions, all my transgressions, the mountain of my transgressions. This is my problem. And, and David pleads, God, deliver me. Not just forgive me, but deliver me. Rescue me from me, from my bitter, proud, self-reliant heart. I don't, it's not just that I don't, I don't want to say sinful things anymore. I, don't, I want to be delivered from the proud, bitter, self-reliant heart that spawns all those words. I don't want, I want the fire to go out so that in its place I can actually speak with gentleness and grace, not because I'm trying to, because it's the right thing to do, but because there's gentleness and grace within me. My heart's been changed. I'm a different person in the same context. That's what David's praying for. Don't make me the scorn of the fool. A fool is one who mocks. That's what fools do. They, they say, aha, aha, you call yourself a Christian? Listen to yourself. Look at you, all red in the face and ranting and slandering. That's what the fool does. And, and David is just saying, Lord, rescue me from me so I'm not giving fodder for them. Rescue me from me. Change me. Friends, this is the humility that actually transforms us. Notice verse 1, David tried to muzzle his mouth, but it didn't work. That inner fire of self-righteous indignation wouldn't be restrained. But now that his hope is in the Lord, and now that he has a sense that life is so short, and God is so sufficient, and David realizes that he is so sinful, now David is able to be quiet. Verse 9, I am mute, I do not open my mouth. For it is you who have done it. You see, there's a blessed silence that comes when we're willing to believe that our circumstances, even the hard, hurtful, offensive circumstances, are from God. You realize it's from God. Why, why, is, why, why did this person... Right, uh, do this to you? Well, I don't know all the reasons, but I, I do know it's from God. Why did they say that? I don't know. They're, they're, right? It was wrong. But it's from God. Why do the wicked do what wicked people do? It's from God. You see, it, it just changes the perspective, changes, changes the way you think about it. It's from God. A God who loves you. A God who cares for you. 
A God who's promised that he's going to be with you and, and that he's working something through all these things so that we're not victims in the hands of sinful, hurtful people. We are in the hands of God. And that any hurt that comes from those hands are for our, according to his will and for our good. And in that place, we can be quiet. We don't have to tell people what he or she did. We might not even have to tell them. We, we, we can maybe just over, just bear it, right? Just overlook it, forgive it, show mercy. We can be quiet. We can stop being the morality police and start loving those who offend us and, and praying for those who hate us. It's okay. It's okay. God has it. It's okay. It's okay. You can let it go. You can be at peace as you trust in God. Friends, I just invite you to pray for me. I want the fire to go away. That, that burning, when, when, when someone does something that offends me, I want the fire to go away. And in its place, to be a heart of mercy, a heart of compassion, kindness, grace, doesn't mean there won't be times where truth has to be spoken in love. That'll be there. But I want, to, I want to be at a different place in my heart. I read an article a couple weeks ago, in the, a blog, and a guy says at the top, he says, my goal in life is to be a humble, gracious old man. That's pretty good. How do you get to be a humble, gracious old man? Well, you, it starts right here. And the beauty of it, friends, is that we can be. God has not left us to ourselves. He's given us a Savior who actually has come to deliver us who's actually come to transform us. And, it, and it's wonderful that Jesus carried out that redeeming, rescuing work by walking Psalm 39. Of course, he inspired these words, and Jesus on this earth walked them. He lived it. What did Jesus do when violent, wicked, angry men were screaming at him and, and slandering him? What did he do? Well, he opened not his mouth. He was silent before them. How could he do that? How could he be silent when he, the Son of God, without any sin, is being mocked and slandered and derided by wicked, wicked pieces of dirt made out of earth, right? Men. How does he, how does he just stand there and take it? And the answer, of course, is because he trusted in God. He trusted in the Lord. If anyone had the right to thunder condemnation against wicked people and, and shower wrath upon his enemies, it was Jesus Christ. But praise God, friends, he didn't. He trusted himself to God and he gave up his own life to save the people who were mocking him, to save the wicked people, people just like you and me. Instead of rebuking us, he prayed for us. Instead of just spewing out of his mouth the judgment that we deserved, he died for us. Instead of being angry, he loved us. And Christ calls us now to do exactly the same, right? Not to die for people as he did, but, but to be silent as we trust the Lord and, and in, when people revile us to bless them. We can do that by the power of God. We can bless people when they revile us and when they say all manner of evil against us. We can... We can be at peace, trusting ourselves to the Lord, and we can love our enemies the way Jesus 
told us to. We can pray for those who offend us. Jesus, friends, calls us to, to walk this road. We have to put away the bitter heart. We got to put away the bitter heart. I always like to ask you to ask yourself, where does the bitterness of my heart come out? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your parenting? Your driving? Where do you find yourself venting or the trigger gets tripped and you're angry inside? Where is that happening? And then go exactly into that moment and start asking yourself, what's the pride behind that moment? Why do I think I'm better than the person I'm so upset with? Why have I, why have I forgotten that I want to be dead in a few, in a few years? Where, where's the pride that keeps me from trusting God in that moment? And pray for the Lord to show you. He will. He, he's showing me. And it's a, it's, a, it's a painful, precious thing as God exposes the pride of your heart. Just the sheer, stupid, wicked pride that drives your bitter heart and all the fruit of it. And then, and then we need to take the step of actual repenting. Repenting before the Lord, confessing it, acknowledging it, and then repenting before each other. I'm so sorry. I was so proud. I was so self-righteously, wickedly angry. And I'm so sorry for failing to love you. I'm so sorry for not showing grace to you the way Jesus has shown grace to me. I'm, I'm so sorry for not being a vessel of mercy when God has been so merciful to me. Would you please forgive me? Friends, that's where it starts. You'll be amazed at what happens in relationships when we, when we take that stance. When we follow Christ in that way and we begin to live not out of our pride, not of our self-reliance, but out of the grace that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. May God grant it. Amen. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts, and you certainly know mine. And all the pride, the self-reliance that has formed a bitter heart. And Lord, you know every one of us, Lord, struggle in one way or another with this. We live in a, a wicked world, and we live with people who sin and who don't do things the way they ought to do, and who make grievous mistakes and, and, and commit grievous offenses. And in our bitterness, oh God, we can just become hard-hearted and angry. We withdraw, and we forget all about mercy and grace and love. And we're, truth be told, Jesus, we're not capable of mercy, grace, and love when we're, when we're stuck in our pride. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've, you've gave, you gave your life to rescue us, not just from the guilt of our sin, but the power of it. And so we pray that you would deliver us. Lord, make us wise people. We're going to be dead so soon. Our life here will be done so soon. And in this one little life that we have, you call us to love each other. 
You call us to show grace and kindness and compassion to the people that you've placed in our life, even the ones who hurt us grievously. And Jesus, we just confess, we're not able to do that without your help, without you transforming our heart. But thank you, Jesus, as you speak truth in your word to us and you give us by your spirit eyes to see. I thank you, Lord, that you can teach us humility and you can teach us how to trust and you can take all the complaining, angry, gossiping, slandering words out of our mouth and out of our heart and replace it with love and joy and peace, gratitude, kindness, compassion, mercy. Father, I I pray that that would define, increasingly define every person in this room so that, oh God, we can experience the power of Christ at work within us so that we might know the peace of Christ. And we'll give you all the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and pray a prayer for each other and for ourselves. May the peace of God our Father. Let's stand together and sing. says to this end we pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Amen.